Welcome back to another episode of the Instant Replay Podcast. As always, I am your humble and gracious host, Dominic Shirosky, and cannot wait to get into today's episode. We have a bunch to get into today. Um, I guess I'll give you guys a quick COVID update with myself. Uh, feeling pretty good. Uh, like I said, really the only symptoms I was having was a little bit of congestion. I'm sorry, you can maybe still hear it a little bit, but for the most part, feeling a lot better, um, can finally taste and smell things again, which is, whew, listen, not being able to taste stuff was cool for like 24 hours. Like when I first found out, I was like, oh my God, I can't taste this. And like, I was just trying, like I was literally just drinking or eating things just to see like, oh my God, like I was eating chips. Like I can't taste this. I don't know what flavor this is. And then Literally the very next day, um, I went to have like a taco bowl, right? Because we had made like tacos or whatever and they were left over. So I made like a little taco bowl and I went through and I like put all of the fixings on it, right? I put my sour cream, lettuce, tomato, cheese, guac, what, uh, hot sauce, all this stuff, right? I'm throwing everything on there. And then I get back to my room, you know. And I start eating and then I was like, oh, I kind of just shift this whole taco bowl up for no reason because I can't taste any of it. <laughs> and that was the moment where I was just like, all right, yeah, I'm over this. This is some BS. But back to, for the most part, it feels like I'm back to normal. Uh, going to go probably get a test at the end of this week just to make sure and see what my status is now. But it's been about... 10 days since my first symptom. So pretty much I feel pretty good. Feels like I'm past it. Uh, so that's a quick update there, but we got a ton of stuff to get into today. Today, there's a lot that happened over the weekend, a lot that happened yesterday. There was a football game, uh, between the Jaguars and the saints, some very big implications in that game. You know what? We're going to hop right into it because I there, there was something else that happened in the NFL that I wanted to bring up first, but this game was pretty important last night and I want to bring it up. Well, as important as a preseason game can be. So we had the New Orleans Saints and the Jacksonville Jaguars. And now why is this game interesting? Well, for one, you have the most coveted, highly anticipated and highest graded quarterback prospect coming out of college, really probably since Andrew Luck or Peyton Manning and Trevor Lawrence, who was the number one overall pick this past draft. We get an opportunity to see him. But also with New Orleans, you have Jameis Winston and Taysom Hill basically kind of fighting for this starter position. And let's just keep things black and white here. Well, let's talk about Trevor Lawrence first. I think Trevor Lawrence is a good quarterback. I think he will be just fine. I think Urban Meyer is going to stink as a head coach. And there were some very clear signs of that. Again, it is just a preseason game, so I don't want to put too much stock into it. But this Jaguars offense, their offensive coordinator is terrible. They do not put Trevor Lawrence in good positions. And that was something that I saw throughout the game. Um, way too many times. First things first, they have to get that offensive line figured out in Jacksonville because I really don't want to see another repeat incident like we saw with Joe Burrow in Cincinnati where they're just like, yeah, no, nah, I mean, the offensive line sucks, but he can make plays. So we're going to throw him out there and then he gets killed and then, you know, we end up having a situation where he tears his ACL and then, boom, Joe Burrow is done for the season. Don't want that to happen. I don't want that to happen to Trevor Lawrence. So they're going to have to get that figured out. Also, 
Travis Etienne, another one of their uh, first-round picks, suffered a mild foot sprain or some sort of foot injury, uh, and it's still up in the air about how long he's going to be out. So that's another one of their first-round draft picks that goes down. Um, But Jacksonville, man, like I said, this offense just looks extremely archaic. And granted, again, it's preseason. Maybe you don't want to pull out all the stops. You're not trying to show anything fancy. But there just seems to be no real effort to make Trevor's job easier. You know, as far as play actions, they had him running out on a couple of like naked bootlegs where he's going out and trying to get into space. But other than that, I'm I'm a little scared. I think Trevor Lawrence is going to struggle massively in this first year. I think Urban Meyer, I've said it from the beginning, I don't think Urban Meyer was a good hire for Jacksonville. Um, he basically got the job because he's best friends with the owner of the team. And he kind of was a consultant for them, for I guess, for a little bit. But I don't think Urban Meyer is the guy to turn Jacksonville around. And it kind of feels like Trevor Lawrence's first couple years in the NFL will be wasted because of it. Now, on the flip side, you had the New Orleans Saints. And like I said, the whole thing here is, and I've, I'm out on the Saints, as you all know. I've, I've spoken at length. Um, a couple of times now on the show about how I personally believe that the Saints are not going to be a good team. Um, They've just lost way too many starters, lost too many key pieces, and we still have to figure out what's going to happen at the quarterback position. I don't think there's any way, and Sean Payton has not announced a starter yet for week one, which... I don't put too much stock into that. Makes sense, especially because of what Taysom Hill can bring. It makes sense to not um, announce a starter just for, you know, competitive advantage purposes and things like that. Um, But there's no way you watched last night's game and walked away saying that Jameis Winston is not the starter for this New Orleans Saints team. Jameis, I mean... Jameis threw a ball what appeared to be about 60 yards in the air down the field for a touchdown, which is something that we haven't really seen this Saints offense be able to do because of Drew Brees, you know, in his advanced age, just really couldn't push the ball down the field. Jameis Winston looked phenomenal last night. He looked really well, got the ball out. And another thing that did look good for the Saints was their wide receivers showed up you know obviously there's no michael thomas no emmanuel sanders the young guys that they have played well last night and that's a huge vote of confidence because that's a big question moving forward for the saints team is what will this offense look like because their wide receiver room is extremely thin again it's preseason but it's pre well it's preseason and it's against the Jaguars. So kind of twice there, you know, you take that with a grain of salt, but you have to be, you have to be encouraged by what you saw out of some of your receivers uh, last night for the New Orleans Saints. Sean Payton, again, he's not going to announce the starter. I just don't know. Cause here's the thing between these two. And we kind of, spoke about some of the other quarterback competitions going on around the uh, the NFL last pod, and we didn't bring up this Saints one. I just, I wish Sean Payton would stop this song and dance of trying to convince the world that Taysom Hill is a starting quarterback in the NFL. He's the ultimate gadget player. Let him be that. Let him be the weapon that you will need, by the way, in this offense because you are so devoid of them, right? Like, that's something that I think, that's another reason why I feel like James Winston has to be the answer at starter for the New Orleans Saints is because by making Jameis the starter, it still allows you to use Taysom Hill 
in that gadget weapon type role. You can still have him out there and be a tight end or hell, you can have basically two quarterback sets where you have both of them out there on the field at the same time and really confuse the defense. You can have him as a running back. He can be a wide receiver. You know, like there's so much you can do with him as a from a weapon standpoint that I just don't know if it makes sense to strip that away, especially early on when you are going to need as many explosive guys who can generate some sort of offense for you as possible with the amount of losses and injuries that you've sustained. So all in all, though, really good night for Jameis. Taysom didn't really do too much, in my opinion, but I've never really been impressed by Taysom Hill. Um, as far as his ability as a quarterback, we saw him a couple games last year and the Saints look pretty bad, but yeah, I just, this is, this should be Jameis's job. This should be his second opportunity to be a starter. And if he's, if he can cut back on the turnovers, cause that's the thing, Jameis, we all know Jameis is going to throw for like 4,000 yards and he's going to throw for 30 touchdowns, right? Like. He's going to do that. The problem has been he's also going to throw for about 25 interceptions, right? So that's the thing there with Jameis is that if he can cut down on the turnovers, you've got yourself a very talented quarterback. And I think we're starting to see that maybe, maybe being behind Drew Brees and working with Sean Payton has maybe he's he's grown from his time in Tampa Bay. So we'll see there. Um, we spoke about Trevor Lawrence's struggles already. Um, so I think we'd be remiss to bring up not just some of the other quarterbacks, uh, some of the other, the other young quarterbacks, his counterparts, uh, that he will be kind of linked to because they were all part of the same draft class. Listen, man. And granted, like I said, Trevor Lawrence, it's not really his fault because the offensive line is terrible. He has a bad offensive coordinator. Urban Meyer just shouldn't be a head coach in the NFL. But outside of Trevor Lawrence, the young kids, these young guys, they're playing really, really well, man. Like, they're playing very well. Justin Fields has impressed. There's a there's an energy about the Bears and about the stadium whenever Justin Fields goes out and, you know, he takes the field. There's just something different with that team that you can feel. Like Andy Dalton, and granted, Andy Dalton did have one nice throw for like 76 yards, though that went like 76 yards for a touchdown, you know, but. I just don't know because, and granted, the Bears made the, the playoffs last year, so it's not like they were a bad team, but how much better is your team going to be than they were last year with Andy Dalton? I don't think so. Like, I don't, uh, maybe by a slim margin, maybe you're a little bit better in all honesty. I think at best you're the same, if not worst. Or worse, sorry, not worst. With Andy Dalton as your quarterback. But Matt Nagy is sticking with Andy Dalton's going to be a starter. In fact, he actually came out and said Justin Fields is going to start next week's game against Houston, I believe, is their final preseason game. Um, and he said that Andy Dalton won't play in that game because he he's the starter and he'll be playing in week one. I I don't get it. I, I really don't. I mean, I understand that it's a good idea to have guys sit and learn. I just don't think Justin Fields is one of those guys who benefits a whole lot from sitting out. I think throwing him in and letting him understand the new speed of the NFL and getting acclimated on the fly will be best for him. Just because, and, and more importantly, I think it's best for the team, you know? So I don't know what Matt Nagy's doing. He could be blowing smoke up all our faces and 
lying to us, but he seems to be very steadfast in the fact that Andy Dalton is going to be the starter week one for the Chicago Bears. We'll see. <laughs> I, I, I genuinely can't get it. I don't. I can't wrap my, my mind around it, but hey, we'll see. Um, but Justin Fields looks good. Uh, Trey Lance. Trey Lance. Trey Lance looks like a kid who only played one game last year, right? He looks like a kid who really hasn't thrown the ball a whole bunch. He looks like a guy who, you know, lacks a lot of experience. But the raw talent that he, that he has just shines through every single time. Like that's the thing that's been great about Trey Lance is that Trey Lance has had some bad moments in these preseason games, but every time he has a bad moment, he comes back and responds, you know, like that's what happened in this, in this last game, you know, he comes out and he threw an interception early and then he responded with like two touchdowns. He, Trey Lance, I don't, and I think, I think now, I actually take a different response or a different approach, not response, different approach with the San Francisco 49ers. I think they're doing the right thing by sitting Trey Lance and keeping Jimmy Garoppolo as the starter. I think that's what they should do just because I think they're still in the mindset of, Hey, we can win a championship if we're all healthy because say what you want about Jimmy Garoppolo. When he is healthy, the 49ers win games. It's a fact. Um, so, it just, I think Trey benefits a lot more from sitting behind, especially since Shanahan is there, right? Since he's learning from Shanahan and getting that firsthand knowledge, I think that benefits him a lot more because he was someone who was looked at as a project and was very raw in his abilities, but just had a ton of talent. So, but again, he's he's gonna make he's gonna force them to make some tough decisions as well in San Francisco, especially if Jimmy uh, gets hurt or if or if Jimmy struggles early and or if Jimmy gets hurt and then Trey has to come in and he shows you know he just flashes some greatness you know shows those exciting plays that gets crowds buzzing and gets the fans going. Um, he's gonna force them to make some tough decisions. Speaking of tough decisions. The, f <laughs> the New England Patriots, and I, I feel bad for Cam Newton. So, obviously, Cam Newton is the projected starter week one, right? Bill Belichick has been saying that even from way back, even when they drafted Mac Jones, he said Cam Newton will be our starter. Cam Newton, because of what is being reported as a misunderstanding of protocol, um, Cam Newton, who, not public knowledge, but based upon how the NFL treated his situation with this scenario, we can assume that Cam Newton is unvaccinated. Um, so Cam Newton, an unvaccinated player, I believe, again, this apparently there was a misunderstanding with the NFL protocols where Cam Newton left the New England facilities um, for whatever reason to go do some off-site stuff, you know, things like that. And he was getting tested at the, at the uh, new location that he was at where he was taking care of whatever it was. Um, however, because he's unvaccinated and because he was not either home or at the Patriots um, facilities, according to the NFL protocols, because he's unvaccinated, he now has to be away from the team for five days. Even though he's tested negative, he has to be away from the team for five days. A similar situation happened with Cole Beasley, with the Buffalo Bills, who Cole Beasley has been very vocal about not wanting to get the vaccine, and he is an unvaccinated player, and he basically kind of had a similar situation. He was around someone who was vaccinated but didn't did test positive for COVID, so he was at close contact. So now he, even though he has tested negative, has to be away from the Buffalo Bills for five days. 
Cam Newton's in the same situation. And I feel bad for Cam because now the Patriots have five days to sit back and watch Mac Jones take every single rep with the starters. And listen, Mac Jones easily, easily has been the most impressive rookie quarterback in this preseason. Easily. Without question, I don't. I don't even think it's really close. Mac Jones has been very, very impressive in this preseason, and I feel bad for Cam because, in all honesty, this misunderstanding could end up costing him his job. Think about it. What if Mac Jones these next couple of days just comes out and lights it up, right? For this entire week, he comes out there, lights it up. One can assume Cam probably won't play in this third preseason game either. So Mac Jones is probably going to get get the start. What if Mac Jones just has himself like the best week of practice he's ever had and then goes out, plays in this third preseason game, and he lights it up? And now the Patriots are sitting there, and they're going, yeah, Cam, about that starting gig. It's something to keep our eye on. I feel bad for Cam because I I like Cam a lot. Cam a lot. I say that. That's twice that I've made that same joke. But anyway, I do like Cam. Um, but it's it's a rough spot he's in. And it's even rougher when you think if this, if Cam does end up losing the starting job to Mac Jones this year, will Cam ever get another chance to be a starter? You start looking around the league, probably not. Right? Like you look around the league, where can Cam go where he would possibly be a starter? There's not a lot of opportunities. There's not a lot of places. A lot of the teams that you would think of have young quarterbacks in place that they're trying to figure out with. So it's a tough bout for Cam, especially because he was under the impression that he did nothing wrong, that he was following protocol just to basically find out that hey, no, you broke protocol, so now even though you've tested negative and didn't really do anything wrong, you have to be away from your team for five days. It's rough. Some people on the internet jumping, saying that this was a, a plot by the New England Patriots to have a justified reason to make Mac Jones a starter. <laughs> I'm not buying into that. However, that is pretty damn funny, you know, Patriots are the evil empire. Sounds like something they would do. It sounds like something the 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 mad genius uh, Bill Belichick would cook up. But uh, all in all, man, I hope Cam is all right. I hope Cole Beasley's all right. I hope Cam doesn't lose his starting job. I want to see Cam get a fair shot with this team because he did not get one last year. Came in after basically being unemployed for like 86 days. Um, had to get on couldn't even really get on the same page with a lot of the guys on his team because of the COVID restrictions and training camp and stuff like that was on a team that was absolutely terrible and devoid of weapons offensively was missing a ton of defensive starters. Cam also got COVID early in the year and you could kind of tell that threw his rhythm off and we don't know how that affected him moving forward for the rest of the year. There was a lot. So I was excited to see Cam maybe get an opportunity to be a starter this year um, with a much improved team around him. But we'll see. Hopefully he doesn't lose his job because of this misunderstanding. Um, but we'll see. All righty. So a couple quick updates. Mike Zimmer and the Minnesota Vikings are going to go through some really rough spots here because Mike Zimmer is just absolutely fed up with every single guy on the Minnesota Vikings because the Minnesota Vikings are one of the least vaccinated teams in the league. Obviously Mike Zimmer being a coach who has uh, prior health conditions that make him a little bit more at risk uh, with the COVID virus. He's becoming extremely frustrated and it's going to be something I think we should pay attention to moving forward. Apparently he had um, a doctor come in and try and speak to the team to basically kind of give them like a COVID vaccine like I don't even know like I guess like a like a infomercial type like he came in to 
informational type speech. I don't know that stuff usually doesn't go over well in NFL locker rooms because the NFL locker rooms are a bunch of very interesting human beings who it's very easy to lose that room very fast, but it's something to watch there because I think that's going to be, I think that's something that's going to play a part. I think you're going to see frustrations boil over in Minnesota between Mike Zimmer and a lot of his players because of this uh, vaccine uh, fiasco that's going on. So something else to keep our eye on. Um, Good news for the Indianapolis Colts. Carson Wentz and Quentin Nelson are both expected to return to practice soon. Uh, Hell, Carson Wentz was out there running and cutting and looking like Clydesdale moving around. Uh, His foot looks absolutely fine. So it definitely seems like those guys will be back for week one after all of this hoopla about will they be gone for five to 12 weeks. It looks like both of them will be ready for week one. So much to do about nothing there. Um, Also, speaking of COVID, uh, Tennessee Titans head coach, Coach Vrabel, did test positive. uh, So want to wish him a speedy recovery. Obviously, he will be away from the team now. He'll be quarantining and things like that. Apparently, there aren't any symptoms. Apparently, he's in pretty good health right now. He doesn't uh, have any, like I said, any symptoms or anything. So, good to hear that from Vrabel. Um, Hopefully, he can be back. I believe by NFL rules, he would be able to be back if he tests negative soon and he'll be there for week one. So, I don't think it'll affect the Titans too much. Last thing before we move on to the NBA. The NFL, I want to speak to you and Roger Goodell and your uh, committee, the competition committee that you have. I'm going to speak to you all. This point of emphasis that you all have pushed so far this preseason with taunting is absolute garbage. You've done this before with the No Fun League from a couple years ago when you got rid of celebrations and guys couldn't celebrate and guys couldn't do anything. This is asinine. It makes absolutely no sense. It's complete BS. And, and Patrick McAfee actually had a really good point. If this was something that you just absolutely felt was a problem, that guys were maybe getting a little too carried away with their celebrations or maybe being a bit unsportsmanlike and maybe doing too much getting in the face of other guys and talking trash or just taking things over the top and being egregious with their celebrations and taunting. If that was the case, why not send a memo out to the coaches and let the coaches kind of check this because now by putting this in the hands of the refs, you're putting it into the hands of individuals that by the way, fans already hate. Okay. Being a referee is a thankless job. You are going to be hated every single time you step out on the floor because every time you open your mouth, you're pissing off someone's fan base. So why put it, in the judgment of the refs who now have to sit back and now they have to come out and be like, Oh yeah. Okay. That's over the top. That to me just puts the league in a bad place. And I don't understand this idea of punishing guys, punishing someone for doing something good. Like think about, think about what goes into a successful play, just one successful play in the NFL. Think about all of the training, all of the preparation, all of the film work, all of the years of Pop Warner, of rec ball, of middle school, high school, varsity, college. I mean, everything that goes into it to you finally having a successful play in the NFL and now you really can't express yourself after you after all of your work paid off now you can't express yourself and if you do express yourself guess what you're going to hurt your team that's a flag 15 yard penalty like i mean 
it's ridiculous. It makes no sense whatsoever. And the reasoning behind this, and granted, it's a point of emphasis. And what will typically happen with when the NFL comes out with these point of emphasis uh, notes is that it will be something that you see early on in the year. And then for the most part, it'll kind of die off because it's not necessarily a new rule, but it's a point of emphasis, right? Hopefully this dies off really quickly and we don't, this doesn't continue to be a problem, but it has already become a problem in the preseason. We've seen, I mean, just this past week, the NFL handed out over $20,000 in fines because of taunting penalties that were called. One specifically on a Colts running back, Benny Lemieux. I'm sorry, Benny LeMay. Benny LeMay. I wanted to make sure I saw the name right. Benny LeMay. For those of you who don't know, Benny LeMay made an incredible play. Basically had a play where they hand him, handed him off the ball, and he legitimately carried about eight guys 15 yards. Picks up a first down. Great play for him. He gets up, flexes on the opponents a little bit, does his little, you know, gives himself a little hell yeah, you know, does his best Stone Cold Steve Austin impression. And then he gets a flag for it. And then he gets fined for it. He gets fined for it. Which I believe they end up finding him about $5,300 or something like that. Something ridiculous. And here's the problem with that. Benny LeMay is a guy who I believe is undrafted and is trying to make the Colts team in a room that is very crowded. You have Jonathan Taylor there, right? You have some other really good running backs in that room. It's going to be tough for him to make that room. And if he ends up not making it, most of these guys for preseason only get for training camp and preseason, especially undrafted guys or guys that were drafted in the fifth, sixth, seventh round. Like a lot of these guys really only make like six, seven thousand dollars during the preseason. So now you've just find him basically everything that he was going to make. Now, granted, he'll appeal this and because there's rules within the NFLPA where a player can only be fined a certain amount of their salary. But still, like, these are the type of things that you do, NFL, and it's ridiculous. No one, no one wants to see this. This makes no one happy. This is back to the no fun league. This, let me tell you this, seeing a player get fined and penalized for celebrating a play is far more annoying and far more infuriating than seeing a player maybe go a little too over the top with their celebration. I'd rather guys have over the top celebrations and maybe take the taunting a little too far. I'd rather see that than see a guy like Benny LeMay get penalized and fined for carrying eight guys on his back 15 yards and getting up and flexing about it. Do better, Roger Goodell. Do better, NFL. Moving on, moving on, because we've spent about 30 minutes on the NFL. We still got some other things to talk about. Um, obviously, right now, you know, the it's kind of a slow point for the NBA. League has kind of settled down. Most of the trades have happened. Free agents have been signed. But there are some things that I wanted to speak on about the NBA. Um for one, congratulations to David Stern, who will be inducted into the Women's Basketball Hall of Fame. Um, the late, great David Stern, commissioner of the NBA, was integral in helping be a part and build up the WNBA. He will be inducted into the Women's Basketball Hall of Fame. Um, Hall of Fame, Hall of Famer, all-time great Kevin Garnett will have his number. Uh retired by the Celtics on March 13th. Um, so congratulations to him. I think that's big for him, especially when you think of some of the greats that have put on Celtics uniforms. Um, that's a very big achievement and I think it's well-deserved. And I would be absolutely remiss to not bring up the late, great Kobe Bryant 
Um, yesterday would have been his 43rd birthday. Happy birthday, Kobe. Happy birthday, Mamba. You are missed. We love you. We appreciate everything that you did during your time on this earth, not just as a basketball player, um, from the things that you spoke about, from a mentorship role to everyone basically in the league. I mean, I don't know how many people, I don't know of many people, especially my age, who didn't look up to Kobe. So happy birthday, Mamba. Um, you are missed and uh, gone way too soon. Gone way too soon. But the real big NBA news, well, I guess it's more its more so college basketball related, but I lumped it in with the NBA here because there's not a bunch going on. So I don't know if you all remember, but not too long ago, we spoke about the overtime league, which for those of you who don't know, the NBA currently has rules set in place where kids can no longer come straight out of high school into the NBA. So you're not seeing guys like um, Kobe Bryant or LeBron James. I believe James Johnson was the last player to come directly out of high school, I believe, but I could be wrong. Um, but yeah, that might be wrong. How old is James Johnson? Is James Johnson older LeBron James? I don't have the numbers in front of me. But anywho, uh, no, I think so. Whatever. Not important. Basically, the NBA no longer allows players to come directly out of high school the way they used to. Um, there is a mandatory, uh, basically, you have to be out of high school for one year. right? You have to be one year removed from high school before you can join the NFL. Which, to me, oh, I'm sorry, the NBA. Which is stupid to me because I don't think like in the NFL, it makes sense where they say, you know, you have to be two years removed from high school before you can join or you, before you can come into the NFL basically, or two or three years, something like that. Right. Like that makes more sense because the NFL is such a physical sport and it's just, it would be too dangerous to have an 18 year old kid going out there for the very first time lacing up against guys who are 27, 28, 29, 30 years old who have been working out professionally, doing this professionally for years. But like that 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 young man is going to get killed. You need those two years of playing in college. You need those two years of experience. You need those two years to grow, um, things like that, right? Like that's all, that's all fine in the NFL. In the NBA, you don't really need that. Like there's a lot of guys right now that when you can look at, you can tell in high school, like, they could play in the NBA tomorrow, right? There's some kids that you can look at and say they could play in the NBA tomorrow. Why are we forcing them to go to college and do this whole song and dance, miss out on a year of opportunity to get paid, miss out on a year to take advertisements, miss out on all of these things um, just because we want to feed the NCAA some content so that way they can make billions of dollars off these young men. So the Overtime League is basically a league um, that was coming to put together about three teams of eight players. They want to have 24 players in total in their league, where basically they were going to get a bunch of high school uh, athletes, guys that had just graduated high school and some international players, and bring them to play against other prep schools, bring them to play against international teams, basically to kind of be an alternative route from going to college where they would also pay these players to pay in the overtime league, right? So these players can sign endorsement deals. These players will get contracts where they will get paid for their services as opposed to going to college and playing for one year and then entering in the draft. You can go to overtime, make some money, play against top tier talent, and then enter the draft through that way, right? So there have already been some pretty interesting prospects that joined, but most recently, the number eight overall prospect in the 2023 uh, draft class is joining the Overtime League. Young Tyler Smith uh, is going to join six other, and that's the thing, the Overtime League, I think the Overtime League is going to be big, and I think the Overtime League is going to eventually expect this to be something that's serious. Expect this to be real. 
I don't think that we're going to see this fizzle out. I think a lot of guys are going to take this as an opportunity to still sharpen their game, to get put on notice, to work out for teams and still put their name out there as far as getting into the draft and making it to the NBA as well as getting paid that year that they are out of high school. So uh, Tyler Smith is going to join six other five-star recruits in the startup league for the overtime. That currently brings them to 16 players. They need 24 because they want to field um, three teams of eight players. So he joins this league. And according to Tyler, this is reportedly that he's signed a two-year deal with the overtime league that will pay him seven figures. So these are the type of deals that are being made that I think are extremely important. And, you know, the main thing that I really like about this is that it gives these young guys a real opportunity. Um, I'm, as someone who, listen, I am on the record. I absolutely hate and disdain everything the NCAA stands for. I think Mark Emmert is just scum of the earth human being. <laughs> um, but as someone who truly despises the NCAA mold and how they basically force these young men and women into slavery and make billions of dollars off of their talent and their image and their likeness without giving them a single dime and just say, oh, well, you have a scholarship, so that's fine. I hate the mold, and so anything that goes against that mold, anything that attempts to break that mold, I am for. I think the Overtime League is a great idea, and I absolutely hope that it is successful. But good job to Tyler Smith, number eight overall prospect, going ahead and joining the league. And like I said, he's reportedly has a two-year deal that's going to pay him seven seven sorry, seven million, seven figures. So that's good news. If you are a high school athlete out there, specifically for basketball, and you feel like you are talented enough, I would absolutely advise you go the overtime route as opposed to going to Kentucky or Duke or you know, Oregon or Wake Forest or UNC and letting these huge corporations and universities make billions of dollars off of you just so you can turn around and not see a single penny of it. But that's enough for the regular NBA. Let's talk some WNBA real quickly because the WNBA is starting to get back into the swing of things. That season is actually going to be coming to a conclusion pretty soon. And I think like month and a half or so we'll be done and we'll be heading over to the playoffs for the WNBA um big news the biggest news in the WNBA was obviously the return of two-time MVP Elena Deladon um for those of you who don't know Elena Deladon dealt with um two really bad back surgeries that basically kept her out she has been out and the other night was the first time she had played since I believe October of 2019. So literally almost two years, uh, two full calendar years, uh, we have been without Elena Deladon. And that's a tragedy. Like for those of you who don't know, I mean like, that's like, like it's, it's kind of like how like Kevin Durant tore his Achilles at the end of the, in the finals that one year. And we basically just kind of had an entire, like what felt like almost what year. And then because it was, COVID and things got sick. Like it just felt like we were, we didn't see Kevin Durant play for a very long time. That's kind of what it's been like, you know, that's, that's the type of impact Elena Deladon has. Like I said, this is a two time MVP. She is box office phenomenal. Uh, I'm sure the Washington mystics are extremely happy to have her back. Uh, they didn't have enough in the tank on her return to pull out the upset and beat the Seattle storm. Close game, really good game. 
Um, but it was just good to see Della Don back on the floor. You could tell in the first half she was a little precautious. Um, you could tell she kind of was trying to ease herself into it and was still trying to build some confidence back up. But then in the second half, when they needed her to put up buckets, uh, she did, and she kind of you could kind of see she she had some more confidence in moving, uh, moving around and exploding and things like that. So glad to see her back. Um, shout out to Elena Deladon. And as of right now, man, you have the standings with the WNBA. Obviously, you got the Las Vegas Aces. Can we talk about what is it about the Western Conference in both the NBA and the WNBA? What is it about the Western Conference where they just dominate? I don't get like, because I feel I feel like at least. At least for the NBA, you know, back in the 90s and 80s, like, I felt like the Eastern Conference were, Eastern Conference was kind of looked as, looked at as the powerhouses. I feel like in both the WNBA and the NBA, the Western Conference has really had a stranglehold on the league, on, on their respective leagues for the better part of it decade now it feels like like in the nba i think you just look at the amount of talent that's in the western conference and like i would i would probably argue that seven of the 10 best teams in the league in the nba are what western conference teams if you look at the western conference in the wnba i mean what i think five of the seven best records in the nba right now belong in the WNBA right now belong to Western Conference teams. Really the only Eastern Conference teams that you see really making any noise. Um, you know, like like you think about some of the other Eastern Conference teams, the worst teams in the league are in the Eastern Conference. You know, the Atlanta Dream, the Indiana Fever. That's really kind of it. You know, teams like the Aces, you got the Sky, obviously, who are 11 and 12, so they're decent. But the best teams in the league, you know, the Seattle Storm, teams like that, they're all Western Conference teams. It's it's fascinating to me. I want to know what 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 is it? Is it just luck? Like, is it luck at this point? Because there seems to be a trend of dominance for the Western Conference in their respective leagues, specifically when it comes to basketball. Um, I don't know if that's just me. I think looking at it too closely, maybe it's by coincidence, but we got to, we got to tap into the minds of some of these Western conference GMs and coaches and figure out what it is that they got going on. Cause it's, uh, it's pretty crazy, but right now, like I said, it looks like we are definitely primed. You've got the Seattle storm playing very well. The Las Vegas Aces playing very well. I'm ready for I'm ready and shout out to the Seattle Storm by the way for uh, winning the Commissioner's Cup um, this year. Uh, the Commissioner's Cup is kind of like an in-season tournament that the teams do. So like certain games are slotted to be like Commissioner Cups games, and whoever wins the most Commissioner Cups games wins the Commissioner's Cup. At the end of this, just kind of like another in-game tournament that they do, um, which is pretty cool. So the Seattle Storm did win it this year. Um, it's not the ultimate title, you know, it's just the commissioner's cup, but, uh, shout out to them for doing that. But, uh, my Seattle, uh, my Seattle, my Chicago sky actually played tonight. Can't wait for that. It's a game we should win. Hopefully we can get back to 500. Like we've been so frustrating this year, man. I'm not going to ramble about this. I'm not going to ramble about the Chicago sky though. I'm not, I'm not going to do it. I do it far too often sometimes and you know, it just, it doesn't, it doesn't go well for me whenever I bring up the Chicago sky. I kind of need to just, I need to learn to like be a fan in silence sometimes, but I'm also like super excited about the WNBA. Like I, like the WNBA is so fantastic. Like it really is guys. And I know so many people just kind of have this negative connotation and, oh, it's boring and 
why would I want to watch girls play basketball and all this other stuff, man? Some of the talent that we have in the WNBA right now is insane. I mean, Diana Taurasi, uh, Liz Cambridge, Maya Moore, Brianna Stewart, Sabrina Inoscu, um, hell, Candace Parker, Diamond DeShields, Allie Quigley, Courtney Vandersloot. Like, the league is very, very, very good. Have fouls like there's 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 a ton of talent in the WNBA right now and if you are not watching you are absolutely missing out Skylar Diggins Skylar Diggins Smith sorry yeah it's it's incredible but definitely check out the WNBA guys because it's just it's a great product a lot of a lot of great talent a lot of really talented women in the WNBA man so shout out to them that i believe are we at the end wow yeah that's all we got for you guys short pop well i guess we're getting out of here 10 minutes early maybe something like that but yeah um that is gonna do it for today that's all i have for you guys thank you all so much for listening this has been another episode of the instant replay podcast as always i'm your host dominic shirosky and i can't believe i messed this up on Friday, I forgot to add it in. We've been doing it at the end of every podcast. I try and give you guys a good word. And of course, with it being Kobe Bryant's birthday this past, uh, this just yesterday, um, Kobe Bryant once said, no one hates the good ones. They only hate the great ones. So with that being said, guys, go out there, make some new haters, a.k.a. be great. Thank you all so much for listening. If you like today's episode, like it, share it. <clears throat> like it, share it, all that other good stuff. If you didn't like today's episode, just act like it didn't happen. And I will see you all on Friday. Peace. It's just different.